Welcome back to another episode of Growing Gains. I'm Adit. And I'm Soham. The aim of this podcast is to explore topics in the financial world that are of interest to students in the 21st century. Our main goal is to help students to make smarter decisions about saving money, making money, investing their time, and achieving the financially independent lifestyle they always dreamed of. Today, we're going to be diving into Bitcoin and Ethereum. Adit will first be covering Bitcoin, and then I will do a deep dive into Ethereum. Yeah, so starting into Bitcoin, when we talk about Bitcoin, a lot of people just say digital currency. But what does that mean? In order to really understand what Bitcoin is, we have to learn about its ideology. So let's go back to the beginning of Bitcoin. It was started on January 3rd, 2009 by a person known as Satoshi Nakamoto. Uh, This is just a pseudonym, so no one really knows who or how many people that even is. That's just the name they went by. So as you can see, it's January 3rd, 2009. So right after the banking crisis of 2008. So as this banking crisis was crashing down on everyone's heads and everyone was wondering what's going to be next, a group of technologically advanced and innovative creators decided to make their own solution. Bitcoin. Now, keep in mind, Bitcoin wasn't the first, uh, quote unquote, digital currency. However, it was the first to truly take off. It was a purely decentralized system of value and transfer that didn't need the presence of a financial institution, the key factor that led to the banking crisis of 2008. So with the impact that Bitcoin had in 2009 and with the impact it's having today in the currency exchange world, what do you think its main purpose or benefits are? Yeah, so let's break this down further for a moment, right? Uh, I'm going to try to use an analogy here to explain it. Suppose you were eating food, right? So obviously you would either use your hand or utensil to grab the food and put it into your mouth, right? Now suppose for a moment you had to tell someone else to take the fork for you, grab the food, and then hand you back the fork so you could feed yourself. That would be an absolutely preposterous suggestion, right? Why would someone even do that in the first place? And that's kind of where Bitcoin comes into play. Why is there a middleman, aka banks? Now, a common answer to this is safety. Banks can store my money. However, like we talked about in the last episode, blockchain is secure and even maybe more secure than banks in and of itself. So that's kind of the main purpose, right? It gets rid of that middleman and that skepticism of financial institutions that was created in 2008. And Bitcoin essentially allows you to have value and transfer that value in and of itself. So let's look at it like this. Uh, you have to, in order to transfer money in like credit cards, you pay with a credit card, the bank like pays the grocery store and you have to pay the bank back. Why can't you just directly pay the grocery store? Society has kind of washed us into believing that that middleman is vital and necessary for transactions when it's not. And that's where Bitcoin really comes into play. So with the main theme of decentralization that Bitcoin is centered around, how does Bitcoin itself attain value? Um, yeah, so I would argue that the concept of money itself is flawed, right? So let's look at the currency we have right now, USD, which is fiat money. It isn't backed by anything but the government itself. The only real thing backing it is the words on the piece of paper that says, in God we trust, right? Other than that, there's no real gold or silver or anything that provides value to that money. However, I could argue it's probably the most important commodity in in the modern world, right? Uh, People die for it. People go to crazy lengths to obtain it. A lot of people's entire future is geared around gaining that commodity that really just stems from the belief that it has value. It's not like trading in the old days where something had inherent value. 
This is just a piece of paper with no inherent value, but we give it the belief that it has power, so it does have power, right? So, and as we touched upon recently in our last episode, banks provide a high barrier of entry. Most people can't get access to a credit card. They could have their assets frozen at any time. And uh, Bitcoin serves to kind of circumvent that, right? You have your own power. It's more power to the people, right? Uh, you don't have the fear of the bank or financial institution, institution looming over you. So Bitcoin, right? Like we talked about that 2008 crisis, it kind of stems from that mistrust and skepticism of financial institutions. So suppose the banks did fail, what would be the alternative? And that's really where Bitcoin comes into play. Money is what people deem it to be since there's no inherent value, especially with fiat currency. So Bitcoin began to be taken more seriously since just like fiat currency, it could have value in and of itself, not being backed by a commodity. Uh, it's based around blockchain technology, which we talked about the last episode. There's kind of like, I guess, three main pillars. One, it's decentralized, which as we touched about many times in the last episode, it provides more power to the people once again. Everyone can transfer money on nodes, etc. And two, it's transparent on a public ledger, right? Um, I'm going to try to dive a le little bit deeper onto this because this is really important, right? A lot of the mistrust that happens with the government is because we don't know what they're doing, right? For example, tax money. People go where people wonder where it really goes, right? Obviously, the government release, releases um, reports, etc. But what's the guarantee that those reports are true and that money is actually being spent that way, right? And that's where the public ledger comes into play. People could see, since all transactions are public, people could see where that money is being spent and every uh, cent and where it goes. However, one kind of argument that comes into play is, if everything's public, I have no privacy. However, that problem is alleviated by the presence of um, anonymous wallets, right? So you kind of have a code on your wallet, how you send and receive money. And if you have an anonymous code, even if it's on a public ledger, no one knows if it's you or not, et cetera, except you and the recipient, right? So you can still have a pri privacy factor. However, like we said, when the government does sketchy stuff that the public couldn't see, uh, it kind of allows the public to have more power. And the third main thing is that it doesn't rely on financial institutions in case they ever fail again. So, which once again goes right into that taking away power from the monopoly and the the monopoly that the state has over us, right? And it's just kind of overall the ideology is more power to the people. So with all these benefits that are driving the Bitcoin value up, today it's nearly at $60,000. What do you think Bitcoin has in for its future? So as terms of like financial value, I don't want to speculate that on that because I honestly don't know where it could go. And I don't think anyone really does. However, as far as you can look at the price history, one main bull run happened in 2017. However, that bull run could actually be attributed to market manip manipulation, which there's evidence of that written in a paper by a UT professor named John Griffin, right? And the reason this is so key is because well, Bitcoin was developed as kind of a getaway from the big markets, the big financial institutions, but it's being manipulated by that. So it's kind of ironic how it's being almost like 
uh, which kind of feeds into actually what's happening in 2021, as many large firms are considering Bitcoin as a financial investment. So it really is ironic how it became so integrated into the system it was meant to overthrow. Some would even argue that it wasn't by coincidence and that financial institutions actually designed the whole ploy to integrate it so it couldn't overthrow them. However, I would argue a sliver of hope does exist in the future in terms of Bitcoin's ideology, as you can see companies like Tesla and a lot of other big corporations starting to accept and even integrate Bitcoin into their system. Um, this also goes for just crypto in general, where you can see the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban accepting Dogecoin, which started as a meme coin as a like actual money or I guess and value for Mavericks merch, right? So I guess in the future, you could argue that cryptocurrency does have a huge future and that ideology could hold to someday. So now that I guess I'm done talking about Bitcoin, what other big fish are in the crypto sea, Soham? So currently, Ethereum is the second biggest market cap cryptocurrency and is also based off of the same blockchain software. Its main function has been to send and receive data globally without a third party such as Bit, like in Bitcoin. The Ethereum network blockchain was first released in 2013 by Vitalik Buterin before its official launch in 2015. Today, Ethereum is traded under the token name Ether and is trading at about $2,200. Yeah, so I mean, okay, you talked about the price, but what does Ether do? Is it kind of like Bitcoin? So Ether was launched as a augmentation to this Bitcoin network with an addition of self-executing agreements known as smart contracts, which work to prevent censorship of data from third parties and the loss of data in corporate hacks. Moreover, in the long term, bulls want to make Ethereum into somewhat of a world's computer where people are connected throughout the world while being able to control the majority of their finances and online data, therefore connecting them together without a middleman. Yeah, so how can these smart contracts be, like, I guess, practically used? So the smart contracts are what make Ethereum uh, unique as to Bitcoin, as the Bitcoin goal is to mainly disrupt online banking on day-to-day -day transactions. Ethereum actually uses its technology to simplify this where Third parties are replaced, but the transactions that are taking place are the storage of data, set, sending and receiving data, tracking financial instruments, etc. Also, in contrast to Bitcoin, Ethereum nodes store more than just transaction details. The network needs to be in a state of current information with all of its applications involved, such as the user balance, all of the smart contract code, where it's stored, and any of the changes that might be made. Yeah, so I mean, I mean, okay, I understand what Ethereum is, but a lot of people that oppose it say that gas fees are a huge proposition to actually working. So can it actually overcome that big barrier? Hold up, pause. Yeah, so Soham, what other uh, big fish exist in the sea except Bitcoin? Ethereum currently is the second biggest market cap cryptocurrency and is also based off of the same blockchain-based software such as Bitcoin. Its main function is to send and receive data globally while working as a decentralized network with no third party. 
The Ethereum blockchain network was first released in 2013 by Vitalik Buterin before its official launch in 2015. The Ethereum token is traded under the name of Ether and is currently trading about $2,200 per one Ether. Okay, so what does Ethereum really do? Is it kind of like Bitcoin? So Ethereum was launched as a augmentation to the Bitcoin network with the addition of self-executing agreements called smart contracts. These smart contracts are able to prevent censorship of data from third parties or the loss of data in corporate hacks. In addition to this, in the long term, bulls want to make Ethereum into somewhat of a world computer where all the nodes around the world are connecting people and giving them the power to be able to control the majority of their finances and online data without the need of a middleman. Okay, so what's the utility that truly makes it different from Bitcoin? Ethereum is different from Bitcoin as Bitcoin's main goal was to disrupt online banking by the addition of day-to-day transactions. Ethereum uses this tech for much simpler transactions that replace third parties online and are able to store data, track financial instruments, etc. In contrast to directly Bitcoin, Ethereum nodes store more than just transaction details. The, ne- the network needs to keep track of the state that it's in or the current information that it holds, including all of its applications with, u- with the user balance, smart contract codes, where everything is stored and any changes that might be made. Okay, so these smart contracts, how can they be practically used in the real world? So the smart contracts are what make Ethereum special. The idea is to change how applications work on the internet today by allowing users more control while strict regulations are placed by something called smart contracts. These set rules under which the blockchain is governed to direct how the currency exchanges hands. These contracts have been able to codify all the nodes on this decentralized system with protocols to verify transactions, much like in a legal system. In addition to this, the Ether network is currently being implemented in the finance, healthcare, supply chain, industries, etc. Moreover, according to a report by Forbes, 50% of the Forbes billion dollar firms list have even confirmed that they will be working on the Ether blockchain. Okay, so a lot of people that actually oppose Ethereum cite gas fees, gas fees as its main opposition. So can Ethereum overcome that factor? So currently, Ethereum is being held back by gas fees, and that's the biggest argument against it. Gas fees are basically a fee that is made to the user to compensate for the tech needed for completing, verifying a transaction. This has become a main hurdle, but there have been two solutions that are developed by Ethereum. The first is going to be the Ethereum 2.0 network. In December 2020, Ethereum 2.0 was released as an upgrade to the Ether network that looks to improve speed, scope, and efficiency of the entire blockchain. Phase two, or the Beacon chain, which was released in December, works to increase the scalability and stores an itinerary of validators. Solving for this scalability will actually reduce your gas fees in the long term, as an increase in the amount of transactions processed under one node will relieve the high gas fees that come up with lower efficiency. Basically, as we increase the efficiency of each node on holding data and processing it, 
were able to drive down the gas fees. Now with the release of the complete Ethereum 2.0 system aimed for 2022, phases one and two are imminent and developers will look to increase network bandwidth, chain security, and overall reduce gas fees. The second solution is the EIP-1559 or the Ethereum Improvement Protocol that is set to release in July, 2021. This protocol looks to lower gas fees by halting all Ethereum mining, therefore reducing the cost per transactions as miners are not paid any fees. This scarcity will actually also ultimately drive the value of Ethereum up as it becomes more valuable due to the lower uh, amount of volume. As the Ethereum network continues to improve, big companies in our world today have already started to use it as a reliable platform. Some of them include JP Morgan, which launched a digital USD currency based on the Ethereum platform. Amazon, which is looking to add Ethereum to an open blockchain standard on its new Amazon managed blockchain that aims to help businesses who can't produce or use blockchain tech yet. And lastly, Microsoft, which has built its own cloud platform, Azure, on top of the Ethereum platform. So thank you guys for listening to our second episode of Growing Gains. Be sure to follow us for our next episode on our Instagram at growing underscore gains underscore.